and that you enjoyed our last episode we are now on facebook please like us at facebook.com the unacceptable podcast and subscribe on patreon for some goodies at patreon.com slash unacceptable podcast today we are joined by noah hermes who uh is quite incredible hello noah and ken is here as well hello ken Hello. How's everyone doing on this fine day? Dandy. How are you, Ken? I'm deep and dandy. I'm in the weeds. I'm hacking away. You're hacking away in the weeds. Did you start work again? Yeah, I worked yesterday. It was like the good old days, like cigarettes and Red Bull and no sleep and just powering through. With the weeds. Yeah. That's uh, very Vancouver. No, it's not that kind of weed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've i been really trying to like keep my workouts interesting. I've found it's been very difficult to sustain because I get bored really easily. So Noah has shown me a workout that I'll link in the comments. It's an at-home workout and it actually got me hyped. So... Thank you, Noah. You're so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have Noah on today. We're going to talk about um, Christianity and some gay stuff. Um, not in that order, just like at all in one, which was initially counterintuitive to me until I've actually uh, talked to Noah about it because. I, growing up in a Catholic school, I always kind of saw the two as kind of antagonistic, like queer identity and Christianity to be kind of antagonistic. So I'm interested, and I'm sure our listeners would be interested to hear what Noah has to say about coming to that identity and coming to Christianity. So do you want to walk us through your journey a little bit? My faith journey, sure. I feel like I'm at the back of my discernment committee. That's what you do. <laughs> and they ask you that so many times. So walk us through, tell us your, your faith journey, your spiritual path. So yeah, I mean, I wasn't raised Christian at all. I mean, I kind of got a dose of it, right? Like I grew up in Chicago. So like the sort of secular North American, like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, like we did that sort of stuff, but like very secular family um, I think I went to church like once for like a friend's baptism. Um, and apart from that, like I, I sort of knew about Christianity just from the like really shitty right wing version that like Republicans preached a lot. Um, you know, I remember my mom like fought to have abstinence only sex ed removed from my middle school, which was really sick because the like some evangelical groups like snuck that in there. So um, all that to say, I was an asshole atheist who had a very negative view of Christians. I was Represent. like, oh yeah, I was like on our atheism. I was a Satanist in grade seven. Like I was an asshole, like just not a fun person to be around. So, but like part of me too, like was always kind of like really fascinated by it. Like I really have always had such a soft spot for Catholicism and the ceremonies and the liturgy and the beauty behind that. And like, you know, I was like a goth kid, like it's fucking metal. I was so drawn to that. That spot was kind of always there. 
Um, and really for me, like I started warming up to the idea of like just spirituality in general. Once I got into recovery when I was 17, you know, doing like recovery, 12 step stuff. There's a lot of talk about like spirituality, sort of this higher power thing. And for me, that was a time where I really got to see, okay, this is like practical applications of like believing in something bigger than myself and like showing up and trying to like be helpful to other people and like be loving and kind and I like saw how that was working and I got to get to know God on this really personal level. And at that point I was like, you know, after a few years of being sober, I was like, you know, I, I kind of want to find other people that um, are into this God thing. Like this feels really cool. Like this is really doing great things for me. I want to do great things for the world. Like let's find a community. And you know, I, my whole family, like my grandparents on both sides of my family, like kind of left the church. So I was like, I think I'm supposed to be Christian. I had been out as queer since I was 13. So I'm like, I got to find something that's like vaguely affirming of queer people. Um, so I showed up to, I initially started off in the United Church of Canada. It's kind of like the most like notoriously like left liberal denomination under the right. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of just started going there. I met um, Jean-Danielle Williams, who's the Protestant chaplain at McGill, who's really cool, um, who kind of got me involved in like that young adult community and just like, you know, started meeting other Christians. I started learning more about, you know, the Bible, about the stories, about the traditions and the faith, and just like kind of started getting involved in that and bounced around to like a few other denominations. Like I was evangelical for five minutes until I realized that they didn't like queer people. And, you know, eventually found my way to the Anglican church, which is this nice mix of like very, you know, almost like a very Catholic like worship style in a lot of the services. But then, you know, they let my very queer and trans ass like do things. Right. That's yeah. really interesting. I like, I've had like just a totally different experience. Like I totally respect, you know, like how religion has helped a lot of people, especially through things like sobriety and stuff like that. I kind of also just like really admire how you kind of per like persisted through, you know, looking for Christianity and looking for God. Cause like for me, it's like, if like someone or like, I guess my initial impression of it was like, okay, well they don't like you if you're like this and so I'm not even gonna bother. So like, was that kind of difficult or like what was your thought process and like kind of searching for that kind of affirmation? I also noticed a lot that like some people feel like they have to choose one or the other. So like some people, they'll be like, okay, well like I'm gay, but I'm not gonna be gay because the church won't let me. Or then there's like other people who are like, well then I'm not gonna be religious because the church won't let me like do my gay stuff. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, that was like, that was really big for me. And I, you know, part of sort of a lot of the sort of denomination hopping in the beginning was like, I knew that the United Church was accepting, but the one that I was going to, there wasn't like that much community there. And I didn't really like, you know, they only did the Eucharist like once a month. And for me, that's like, I really love sacramental theology is like a very important part of my faith and I love that like actual like sensory experience and like what that says and like the community coming together in that way and then you know the evangelical church I mean oh my god what an amazing community I think like mainline churches can learn so much from what the evangelical churches are doing right now in terms of like actually getting people together and enthusiasm and I was like cool like these 
are like awesome young people who like I would hang out with who love Jesus. This is sick, but oh, they don't, they're not going to see me for me. And um, I remember actually like going to a pastoral care appointment um, with Jean Danielle and being like, what do I do? Like they won't accept me, but there's not a community here. And he's like, you know, no, like sometimes when you have those experiences of, you know, saying like, why doesn't this space exist? That's God calling you to help create those spaces. So I kind of like there was sort of I think it was sort of that drive for me of like I really feel like I shouldn't have to choose and you know there were other people in my life who were also talking about this like I ended up starting um, a queer Bible study with a few other people who we're saying the same thing of like, you know, our faith is important to us and we're, you know, queer and trans and we want a space where we're able to have both of those things, you know? And I, I still like all the time I have people read, I just had like somebody, I don't know, this random person on Instagram find my profile and message me being like, I'm Christian and gay. Is that okay? Like, can I talk to you about how you like live both of those things? Like it still is, it is that, that idea of like, how do I like reconcile both of these parts of myself that are so important is something that like a lot of people have dealt with. And I think it for me is one of the reasons why I am so passionately like driven to like create those spaces sort of, you know, both within and outside. Like it was also a big reason why like, you know, I got really involved in the Anglican church and like, you know, am, you know, involved in parts of that church as well that like, you know, not just the queer stuff, like I'm also like, serving and preaching and like, I'm just like a regular parishioner person, you know, and there were some queer people at my home church to start, but like now there's a lot more. And I'm not saying that's like just me that I did that, but like, you know, <laughs> that's kind of how it starts. That's really interesting. I, yeah, I, I saw that you've been doing preaching and stuff like that. And that's very different than like what I see in the Catholic church. Cause usually for a Catholic mass, you go and the priest gives a homily and that's, that's it. I haven't really seen anyone else give, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, Ken, if you've seen no, I think other, you're right. Yeah, yeah. If, if you've seen like other people. So like in your church, you have different people give sermons. Is that kind of what it's like? Or like, how did you come to give sermons at yours? Yeah, so normally they'll only have clergy do it. So like priests or deacons, sometimes they'll have um, like seminarians. So like people in seminary, like studying to become um, ordained. Mm hmm. Um, so the one, we do a contemporary service twice a month, um, where it alternates between, um, Reverend John Danielle and then like just a university student. Um, and there's also like other lay people will sometimes give sermons. I would just kind of ask and like, I really love, I mean, my, don't get me wrong, my first time I was terrified. I'm like, what <laughs> if I, I'm like, what if I like mess up the Bible or like accidentally commit a heresy? Like this is like, <laughs> I'm entering a pulpit like oh no and you know well I got over those nerves a bit but like I really love public speaking like I really I feel that's where I feel like my most comfortable is like at a podium sort of thing mm -hmm. so and for me, it was I had a blast doing it and like it, it is an honor to get to go up there and do that so so you just asked and they were like sure and then... uh, I was asked actually yeah oh so cool cool Ken's just gonna like go to Holy Trinity and... yo hold on <laughs> like, no, I have the mic just just <laughs> yeah I think I think yeah I think you could give a good sermon too Ken. I always like it's funny because like I'm an atheist but I'm always like you know I would love to like give a sermon because I like to read the bible and like interpret lessons and stuff like that from it even though like I'm not like metaphysically like if that makes sense like I don't feel like metaphysically connected to like a higher power or what maybe like I should I don't know but I remember just being like man if I'm an atheist I'm gonna be like miserable my whole life 
life so maybe i should like jump in i know i know it's a lot it's it's definitely a lot but then i'm like then now i'm like okay well i'll still read the stuff like i can still like learn about it and take ethical lessons from what i want and you know but so what i one of my questions is what was your favorite sermon to give and do you base them on specific bible passages yeah so for the second i'll start with the second part so in the anglican church we operate on what's called the lectionary like the catholic church also does that too so there's set for every sort of day or every Sunday. Um, So that usually determines the readings. And then my favorite sermon, so we do a Pride Mass every year, um, which is also really amazing that that even happens during Pride Week. And I was asked to preach at our Pride Mass last year. And that was my favorite just because I openly was kind of like, it's exhausting to be queer in the church. It's really exhausting, you know, because we in the Anglican Church of Canada, they were trying to amend the marriage canon to allow same-sex marriage. And the way the voting happened was super messed up. They needed like two-thirds approval in um, lay people and priests and bishop or clergy and bishops. And it lost by like one or two votes in the bishops. And it ended up like the bishops came out with this written statement saying, we're just going to leave it up to each individual diocese to make their own decisions whether or not they're going to allow same-sex marriage. And a lot of a lot of people were saying, "Listen, this is actually good because now like bishops can just decide to do it." And you know, I pretty much in that sermon was like, "Actually, that's really exhausting. Like, queer people should not have to like go out and investigate. You know, this should just be a thing." I'm so right. tired. Um, right. It's kind of it reminds me of like the states' rights debate, but like with the church. Mm. <laughs> but yeah I mean I can totally imagine that like like I said like it's like it just seems like you have to really kind of sift through the churches and see you know what suits like or which one is going to be accepting so there's that kind of like baseline minimum for me I didn't even know that existed until like I moved to Montreal I honestly um just thought okay like if this is how you're gonna feel if this is gonna be your lifestyle that's it you can't whatever but a part of me kind of knew that like there are people that make amendments and stuff like that with their faith and stuff like especially I remember like going out with my cousins and they'd be like drinking and I'd be like aren't you guys like religious and they'd be like yeah that's fine like you can drink and I was like, I'm pretty sure you can't, like, part of, part of the religion. So then I was like, okay, so, like, people don't take their religions literally. Like, they do what works for them. They do and they don't. <laughs> yeah, they do and they don't, you know? And so, like, then there's that. And then I go to Montreal. I'm like, okay, so, like, they're, the church is now, like, letting uh, queer people in, in some respects. Like, some churches are. I think here, the way it is, is, like, anyone's welcome. It's just, like, you can't have marriages that are, like, same-sex unions. But then I guess what I thought, like, I never even got into that sort of politic because I was just like, okay, well, I'm sure that no queer person is going to want to get married in the church. Obviously, that's not true, I guess, right? So there are different churches that, like, I guess would accommodate that. So it it all depends, right? Because even when we say the church, right, like there's Mm -hmm. all the different denominations are governed by different bodies. I mean, even like looking at the Episcopal Church in the U.S., which is like the equivalent of the Anglican Church in Canada, they've had same-sex marriage in that denomination since like 2000. 
seven. It's been a while that they've okayed it. Actually, I think it was the Episcopal Church that actually helped push forward the same-sex marriage, like at the government level in the U.S., by saying that it actually violated their religious freedom by not allowing them to do same-sex marriage. Oh, interesting. But then, like, because the way that they pass laws in the Episcopal Church or amend their canons is very different than how like the Canadian church does it and you know diet like area by area they're operated by different bishops they kind of interpret things a little differently sometimes and then even church by church like within the Anglican denomination you can find really different people so it's it's tricky Yeah, I, I, you know, that the religious freedom argument is interesting. I saw something kind of similar to do with abortion because I, I learned recently in the Jewish faith, it's permissible to get an abortion and it's suggested if, if it would uh, uh, make the woman's health like not wow my brain is fried it it's suggested in the case of that where it would improve the health of the woman so there was a rabbi on twitter that was arguing that laws that were banning abortion is actually a restriction on the religious freedom uh, of jewish people in the u.s so i thought that was kind of like an interesting sort of argument to make because i guess like the counter argument to that or maybe to like gay marriage actually no i don't even think they're that parallel because i think with abortion they would just say like well your religion can't accommodate like murder or something like that like the same way that like honor killings are illegal with gay marriage obviously it's like a victimless crime i think most of us be gay do crimes kind of thing i don't know i mean some people would think it's not a victimless crime but i think most people would be like okay like no one's getting like murked from a gay marriage unless it's like really lit (laughs) my kids are marriage yeah there's gonna be at least one casualty (laughs) there's gonna be a casualty yeah um jesus is gonna be like sitting there judging being like so so yeah i mean i think also what's interesting is the kind of biblical interpretations that people are and like the debate over like how to interpret it because i guess right now what the traditional catholics would say is okay well the bible says this and so like we need to adhere to it in this respect and the church canon says this for the catholics there's the catechism of the catholic church um um, which is kind of like the Pope's dictates kind of thing. So how would you kind of respond to that? Like, I've never known how to, like, I guess because I haven't really been religious in like over 10 years now, I've never really thought to say like, okay, well, maybe you could interpret the Bible in a way that's like accommodating or like say similarly with church practices, with the idea that like you can't have sex before marriage and you cannot have sex that's not going to produce a or not going to have the intent to produce a child. So how how would you sort of respond? Sorry, that's a really long ass and like loaded question. Oh, I love but. it. Yeah, I mean, the first thing, so I mean, everyone interprets the Bible like full stop. Like I think there's something, especially around with like a lot of like fundamentalist Christians, especially in the US or people who sit, you know, churches will often say, you know, we're Bible believing, like every single word is inspired and is exactly correct and inerrant. And it's impossible to say that because every, you, it's you you're making an interpretation right you're looking at um 
various different um, writings from different people over hundreds of years that, you know, are often oral traditions that have been written down in either Hebrew or ancient Greek that have been translated hundreds of times. And, you know, you're now interpreting in a modern context. Some of the like classic, what we call like the clobber passages that are often used to say, you know, against LGBTQ people, like, you know, the Leviticus one of man shall lay, lay with a man like a woman and the there's one from like Paul says something about sexual immorality um so even like just by looking at like you know the Greek translation like there's this passage on sexual immorality that people often bring up um the like original Greek word for that is porneia. Porneia does not translate into anything. It means something close to like, um, sort of like something that's like her, gross, like in, like incest. Like it's something very much, it's not a loving same sex relationship between consenting adults, you know? And it was usually probably referencing like the, that male, um, I also have quarantine brains, so this is not coming out intelligently, but that like the male sexual slavery with younger guys, like, you know, again, it's not talking about a loving relationship between consenting adults. And I think that that is, again, I love, you know, I love the stories in and the traditions in the Bible. I, I really, there's so much richness in the stories there and so much that I think is really beneficial and wonderful. But again, you know, if we're going to take something that was written many years ago by people living in a very different world, I think it's like, we have to be very cautious interpreting that for today. Yeah, and honestly, one of the arguments that's been brought up against me as an atheist, probably by Ken at one point, is that, you know, the way that God speaks, because I, when in my edgy atheist phase, I was like, okay, well, Old Testament God kind of sounds like a dick, and like, <laughs> the kind of way that he talks to his people makes him sound like jealous and mean and whatever so I was like how can this be a god and the point made to me is like well first of all this isn't god writing the bible it's people interpreting it and they're interpreting it through the customs of their time and second of all you know god might be trying to speak to people in a language that they can comprehend so if we're like these simple-minded humans we might not understand unless it's put in a way that like people are used to comprehending and so well, back put, then it would have been like the language of power and authority probably yeah exactly or like the way that the laws are written that's why like the old testament is a bit legalistic in a lot of respects i think yeah, no, um no, i think you know i don't know i well, i like to push back on those sort of statement like the old testament god versus new testament god there's mm -hmm. some parts in the hebrew bible that are like Honestly, Book of Isaiah, my favorite book in the Bible, is like the roots of like liberation theology and like God is thick in there. Um, you know, it's talking about like freeing the oppressed and like losing some chains. Um, <laughs> you know, which I, I'm all about that. Beautiful nature imagery too. You'll love it if you're in Vancouver. Oh, very nice. Yeah, God's gonna be like giving out the UBI and stuff like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I go full communist when it comes to my Christian. When it comes to that, yeah, I mean, that, that there are definitely traditions in Latin America, and I was. It's interesting to me. I was just reading a book about Fidel Castro. And it was interesting to see the kind of issues that, say, like Cuban communists had. So, like, Che Guevara was a very outspoken atheist, and other people wanted to be religious. And they, at first, were very reluctant to make accommodations for religious people in the communist, uh, in their communist circles, because uh, there's famous quotes from Marx that are a little. Marx was definitely like a, an edgelord, Richard. <laughs> Richard Dawkins-esque atheist. Um, <laughs> I understand why, as a, 
as a Jewish person in Europe at that time, I can see why he would feel that way. But but yeah, I mean, like it's very. Uh, it was interesting to see how the way that they were kind of persuaded um, to accept Christianity and stuff like because obviously in Latin America Christianity is a big deal is you know they're saying well these principles can actually move to people toward uh, policies that are going to help the most oppressed peoples and stuff like that obviously like there's a there's a suspect history with the Catholic Church that is is not savory too. I mean, not just the Catholic Church. I mean, the Anglican Church ran residential schools in Canada. Like yeah. the local church is still colonizing through mission trips. Like, you know, we're all very guilty of that. Yeah. And I think like what I respect about, I think it's really important for anyone of any group to sort of look back and be like, okay, um, here's where we have went wrong and we should be humble and apologize for like these things in our movements. So that's the thing I kind of like, I really respect about like progressive religious people is they're like, they have this kind of self-reflection. They're not trying to cover up these mistakes. And I think like, this is probably like, I, I hate to like compare feminism to religion, but like, I think that like there's an issue in feminism as well you know where there's like a dark history in feminism um through like yeah i mean like the suffragettes had like a very like dark history of racism and um there were eras of like very to put it lightly some very like anti-trans kind of bullying going on in the feminist movement and there were you know there was a lot of anti-blackness and weaponization of rape accusations against black men and there were lynchings involved and stuff like that and so the thing is is like now I, find, I see a tendency in the feminist movement for people to go well this uh, that's not real feminism real feminism is this and it's just like this pure form where it's just like okay real feminism says this this and this there's no pope in feminism like there's no there's what? no like <laughs> I would love to be a pope. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but like, there's no one that's dictating what the real version is. It's up to uh, communities now that are. And I, I, I like what you said about you know create your own. Like you're saying, you know, maybe God wants you to uh, create your own kind of uh, community. And I think that's like true for not just religious movements, but any movement that has maybe a dark past, but still thinks that their ideology is something to contribute. So like you're taking, say, like facets of Christianity and you're saying like, okay, well, here's where we've historically done some shit but here's maybe where like we can use this as a way to be helpful to people but yeah so so another thing i was thinking of is you're you're also you've been doing social work now for a while um and i noticed that a lot of people who are involved the church are also like my old family priest used to be a psychologist and he would go to prisons and be like a counselor there so do you think there's a connection between that like the sort of spiritual like having a spiritual relationship and then also being involved in these kinds of work sectors where you're like helping and counseling people mm -hmm. yeah I mean it definitely social work was sort of like the step in the right direction to where I started realizing like oh I think I want to be a priest um and it's something that I love um and yeah I mean also at the same time having like you know a relationship with God and like being a Christian really helps me I think be a good social worker and that like you know just 
having good boundary skills, like kind of in the same way that the church has like a shitty history. I mean, social work as an institution, you want to talk about a fucking thing that needs to take accountability for stuff like, oof, oh my gosh. Um, you know, there are some facets of social work that are like actively perpetuating colonialism, like all of youth protection. Oh, I just, I don't remember where my thought was going. Um, what was your question? Oh, you were saying how social work once <laughs> got you to like want to be a priest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause so basically like I, I actually all through high school was like, I'm going to be a musician. Like I, you know, was a total band geek. I was like, I'm going to major in oboe performance. And then um, once I was getting sober, I, you know, had a few experiences of just uh, meeting like practitioners in this, you know, psych ward that I was in who were like so kind and just, you know, showed me love in this like really dark time in my life. And I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be that person for somebody. I want to be able to show up and give somebody love in that way and care in that way. And, um, you know, I definitely thought that social work was going to be sort of like the answer for that. Um, you know, did my degree, learned a lot more about like what social work was. And I'm, I'm really fortunate. I really love my job right now. Like I work in a community setting. I'm, you know, like a youth worker. I'm not even like technically a social worker in my job right now. Um, you know, I get to work very creatively. It's not like that. So, um, you know, I really enjoy that. Um, and and I think it was a lot of those, yeah, I mean, the sort of like one-on-one like help and just being there for people that really drew me to it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's really interesting. Like I, I, one, one of the things Ken once told me when I was uh, feeling bummed is like you sometimes in life you need something, like something outside yourself to live for. And I think like religion kind of like offers people that in, in that respect, like and then by extension sometimes people will take that and like use that to help other people so before we started recording you mentioned to me you were working with or you enjoyed working with like angry young men and i thought that was really interesting if you want to like discuss that or elaborate on that a bit more without like breaking any confidentiality i'd be really interested to hear about that yeah, I can't go into any sort of detail of it because of confidentiality, but just, I don't know. It was really, I mean, it was surprising for me when I started working in this field. I think I'm, I've am i grown up a lot since I've started working in the field, um, which I'm really grateful for. I mean, I, start, I got this job at, what, 22 when I graduated and I'm 25 now. So it's been, you know, a little, almost three years. And um, yeah, I just, something about like angry young guys, they just seem to really trust me. Um, and I love, I don't know, I just, I really like, there's something about working with that population. I don't know. I think maybe I just, I have a lot of empathy. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. like, I find there's just, like, these young guys who um, are really isolated, um, you know, which, like, I think that speaks to a lot of the larger isolation that I think a lot of people in our generation are experiencing right now. And not to say everybody should be in church. It's not the space for everyone. But I think that, like, you know, our generation, as sort of the generations have moved on, there's less and less people, like, involved in churches or other communities where they're connected to other people in a community setting. And yeah. I think that that sort of spiritual connection, again, even if it's, like, you know, being involved in, like, a recovery community or, like, a, a queer community or some sort of community that brings some sort of value, I think that in the way that so many of us are lacking that now is really causing this, like, just amplified isolation. There's this lack of meaning. And, you know, for a lot of these guys, too, it's, like, there's just so much anger around that. And a lot of the people that I've worked with, you know, are on somewhere on the autism spectrum and, you know, not having... um the social skills to understand how to navigate like a lot of these areas of their life like of course that would cause anger like I just I just have so much empathy you know for these guys that I've worked with and I think that maybe that I don't know maybe that empathy like they can pick up on that or something but um it's just I just really enjoyed it 
Yeah, so, I mean, it's like what you're making me think of as well is like something that has um, kind of uh, eaten at me as a as a heathen is is that like I think there definitely is a lack of meaning and community in a lot of people's lives as society becomes more secular, and I think people really seek that kind of community that's going to give them both affirmation and meaning. And I think about like these online like Reddit communities. Uh, the extreme ones, like the incel and the uh, white supremacist or white nationalist ones. And I can like, I think about like why they're appealing to people. And I think it's like, you know, people used to have a religious identity in a religious community where you share this like fear and faith and a higher power with each other. And Some, now, sorry? A little bit of love too. And yeah, yeah, and love. <laughs> um yeah no that's but you share that with like some people um and now it's like people are kind of looking for that in something else because it's well yeah right like because it's like you know um these things offer people a similar structure they offer like a, a mutual identity whether it's an ethnic identity or whether it's uh an identity where you're you can't get can't have sex or whatever um it's like something like that and you kind of share that identity with each other so you share a, an anger which i think like in the church there is also or like in any religion there's always a righteous anger it's not always a bad anger there's like a righteous anger at some form of like injustice or like at some form of thing so you unite over that you unite you unite over the anger and you also unite again like through a love for something whether yeah. it's like your identity that like your ethnic identity your religion love for each other whatever and so like now you're seeing these like kind of perverted replacements of of I mean, these kinds of th- of these communities yeah and like it also made me think of something you told me ken where like you've talked about how like sin is like a perversion of something that's inherently good Mm -hmm. and i i definitely see would you you agree with that i feel like that's a very catholic kind of i know i know and i i to an extent i do because i think like there's like a desire like the most evil people like a lot of them they have like a cause and they think they're doing something good right Mm -hmm. like whether it's like like what we were talking about like isis on one of the podcasts right Uh i think that (laughs) 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 so so isis no i mean isis so um i wonder what got into their morning cereal uh but and so they think that like their anger is like righteous and justified and they think that even though like what i think they're saying is terrible and so i think like it's interesting like uh it makes me think back to like and i don't think it's just a, i don't think it's just a christian thing i think also it's like you know the whole like socrates plato no one's willingly evil kind of thing uh-huh. which admittedly christian christianity gets its ethics from you know what i mean no one is willingly evil let's yeah. not let's not i don't know okay let's not even dive in there I think it's an interesting thing to dive into. I think sometimes people are willingly evil. The only time they're willingly evil is like when they're being spiteful and they're like, yeah. and like, screw you all and screw myself. But when people are, my dad actually said that's the only time someone cuts, goes to hell. So my dad's thing, I learned a lot from my dad was like, hell is only when you willingly cut yourself off from God. And the only time you do that is to spite creation or yourself and others. I was like, wow. That's very Dostoevsky. I like that. Yeah, I don't know. I think nobody being willingly evil. I mean, we're given free will to sin. 
right? Like we have, I don't think that anyone is completely evil. Like I believe there's good in everyone and that people like are trying their best most of the time, but like, look at the world, right? Like there's like so much fucked up shit going on. Like we're full of sin, this world right now. Like people, and people are making that free choice, right? Like I think for me, the sort of like thing is that you always have, like that forgiveness is always there, that you're always given that chance to repent and to change, that no one's like completely beyond forgiveness. Right. I think right now it's being really messy in the discourse and I don't think this is just, I, I, I think for, I think society is very influenced by Christian ethics. Um, and I think about things like confession, for instance. I don't know if Anglicans do confession. So it but, depends, church to church. We usually, the one that at my parish, will do like a general confession that the whole congregation will say of like, you know, forgive me for the things that I've done and left undone. They're sort of like general before we take communion. Okay, okay. Yeah, so you don't do like the one-on-one Sometimes they'll have that before, um, on Good Friday, usually they'll have that, mm, where okay. like, like a one-off. Some churches will do it more regularly, but it's not as um, important as it is in the Catholic Church, usually. Right. Ken and I were thinking of, like, an art piece where, like, you just, like, stand in the middle of, like, like a busy area and just confess all your sins to, like, the public. I've, also, <laughs> I've thought about doing a YouTube video of, like, every bad thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like self-interest combined i don't know yeah Yeah. so then it's like is that really like an absolution thing but i think we are right now really struggling with absolution like especially right now when you know you're outing people as like bad people and it's like we're trying to struggle with the path of like how to reintegrate people who have like done bad things because it's also like now we're also talking about things like prisons as well right where it's like now we're questioning like is this the best way to do things by like locking someone up like maybe we should try another form of like justice that's going to be like rehabilitate people rather than like just like send them off into something and just let it fester damn them to hell yeah yeah but it's like you know i think right now like it's it's kind of difficult to try and come up with a model because it's like intuitively when someone does something terrible, right? Like intuitively it's like you, like a lot of people just want to like have a retru- retributive desire to something like- Something really weird going on with your mic. Sorry, it's like every time oh. you speak, there's like a bass tone that's like, vroom, 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 vroom. do you hear that Noah? No. Oh, it's just me. Yeah, there's just this weird like bass, hip hop bass tone coming through, but I'll just groove on it. Just groove, yeah, it's yeah. chill. Um, yeah I, I think like now I'm kind of like even for me I don't know where I stand on it right because like it's it's hard to um like now especially in like progressive circles people are talking about how, how to deal with prisons especially with in light of coronavirus and there's also like a simultaneous thing going on where there's a big desire to see people punish. And I feel like it's like on the same side of the political spectrum. Like, I mean, you have the right and like, they're just like, okay, prison's fine. Uh, death penalty. Some of them think, okay, yeah, death penalty is fine. But then, you know, if somebody does something horrible, like, like if it's like someone who commits like sexual violence or whatever, like then it's like, well, they should still, they shouldn't be like canceled or shunned or whatever. And then on the other side of things, I, th- I see this on the left, where it's like, you have this sort of abolitionist sentiment, um, but then at the same time, 
there's a more retributive politic when it comes to people in the community doing bad things. So I think we are lacking a model for that. And I wonder like what you guys think, like how can we complete the system? I'm just kidding. That was an obscure meme. Yeah, solve, can you just solve prison in like yeah. just five minutes? Can, can we solve just? It? Yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, I absolutely consider myself a prison abolitionist. I mean, from the get-go, like, it's just set up horribly. And I know, Mila, you know about my friend from Kansas who was incarcerated for a while. I'm like, you know, just like through that friendship, like learning about sort of the ins and outs there, I was like, how this can't exist. This is inhuman. This is like, it just can't. I mean, the things that it does to people. And I mean, at least in Canada, they're better about like, letting people out on weekends slowly, like integrating people back in. I mean, my friend was literally just released and that's it. Like, thank God he had like family connections and like a home to go to. They, they set you up with nothing, you know? And then if you trip up and like, don't get to your parole meeting on time, cool, you're back in prison. Um, but it's interesting too, because obviously him and I talk about it a lot. And he's like, he's like, you know, I'm not, a, he's like, there's some people in here who I would not want on the outside, you know? So he doesn't even know if he could like, but I think both him and I, agree that it needs to be reformed. I think he, you know, views himself as very lucky that he was able to like feel more rehabilitated and like make the best out of like a shitty situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something I think about a lot, and again, I'm not like the most well-read prison abolitionist. I'm like, you know, I'm just a freaking social worker, but like, um, my church actually supports this one initiative called Communitas, which does these um, accountability circles with recently released people who are like registered sex offenders, basically. And so they get, um, so like people who are at a high risk of offending, so they'll get released from prison and they're like circles of different community members and they just meet with the person like, I guess like once a week, that sort of thing. And, you know, help keep them accountable, give them a community, like give them people that they're talking to and like a sense of connection And it's shown that this method of those like accountability circles cuts the recidivism rate by like 50% or something or 70%, something ridiculous. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, we think about it like for, especially when we think about sort of like sexual violence and like, you know, pedophilia, like the sort of like the really, like the worst crimes that people really want to punish people for, like what causes recidivism is isolation is not being able to connect to community is you know feeling further disadvantaged and when we put someone on a sex offenders list or like give someone a felony that's on their record forever so now they can't get a job they can't get housing they're isolated they have to go back to you know the informal economy to make their money like it's just going to be this endless cycle so it's finding that i just think it's rethinking what does it really mean to like help people. And I think for me, at least it like, it's so in tune with my Christianity of like, I have to operate on that base level of like, we are all children of God. We are all loved by God infinitely and like equally. And, you know, even like the worst sickest person, you know? Um, And that has to sort of be the starting point. Yeah. If someone's like hurting people and like, maybe they can't be out in the world, like, yeah, they should maybe be somewhere but that somewhere shouldn't be prison right yeah Yeah. i like i just always think about like because for me i'm like okay i think if you're doing things like smoking weed 
even like selling weed if someone's consenting to buying drugs from you or like if it's like sex work or anything like that like I'm I'm not gonna be like yeah these people should be sent to prison like that to me so like I'm on board for like non-violent stuff but then like when it comes to things like sexual violence I think I just have such a visceral reaction or like terrorism I'm always just like oh my god like my like reaction to like these kinds of terrorists I'm like fuck them like I don't care like I do not feel this kind of sympathy and like at the same time then I like I listened to Noah talking about like sex offenders who are another group of people that I could like it's very hard for me to to empathize with but what you're saying makes sense because it's like it's not about our emotions it's not about like what's going to make us feel good we have to think about what kind of solutions actually work for society and I think like that that may be like a similar model because like I, I think of things like me too for instance as a measure of justice and I think this whole Biden thing is showing us how badly it's failing right oh yeah and so so now I'm thinking like okay so like we need some sort of model that's gonna try and like bring us up to to speed here and on how to deal with these difficult issues. Yeah, and I think it's it's thinking outside of the box. And I mean, you know, even just for like, you know, how I just see that fitting so well. I mean, for me personally, right? Like, it's not my job to punish someone. Like, it, that's that's. God's job. <laughs> like it's not that's, a, that's a very like like uh, wholesome alternative to it's not my job to educate you. <laughs> oh no. Like, <laughs> Take it up with Jesus. That's not my job. Take it up with Jesus. <laughs> your Bible. That's not my job. <laughs> just go- just Google Jesus Christ. Okay. I mean that is opt out. If somebody if I don't know the question to some shit, like pray on it is a great suggestion. Pray <laughs> on it, yeah. Just pray on it. Right. But like I think as a society, right? Like sure. reframing from like punishment to how do we maintain safety? How do we facilitate healing? How do we, you know, focus on those things, right? And like keeping that human element in there. Cause like, you know, yeah, is there one in a hundred, like again, this, you know, awful evil terrorist or like any of those sort of others that we like think up in our mind I mean even the way we talk about like people who commit sexual violence like yes there are some evil people like lurking in alleys but you know these are still human people who like again like have are deeply deeply sick but are still human and like how do we I think that just it's going to involve having to really rethink the way that we're doing this to find a a whole new process of how to like let these people keep their humanity it almost seems like we need a mass therapy as like a population do you know what i mean (laughs) honestly like to deal with not just these but like our reactions i feel like we all need a therapy that will help us like not be like immediately pissed and immediately like yeah like send that person to jail for life you know and i remember thinking like what like this is insane like if i was them i would like go and try and shoot him myself i don't know if i actually would don't like hold me to one day someone's gonna make a compilation of all the things you've said here like i know <laughs> no, i know cool. i'm like prepared yeah. for it it's fine canceling, yeah yeah i i think I, I i said this yesterday i've been canceled a thousand times on twitter and like canceled I just... a thousand times more <laughs> <laughs> and i honestly then i just like 
lay low for a bit, don't tweet, delete all my past tweets, and then just go back in there. So I mean, like, maybe that's the way forward to like punishment. You just like lay low and then come back. No, I I think low like um I I think what I'm saying is like there's this kind of reaction that I think we all need therapy for and the reaction is just like this uh desire to see people immediately just like punish um in like really extreme ways when we're angry at something that they did and I think we're kind of starting to have that conversation now um both with prison abolition and with like me too which seem to be like at odds with each other in some respects you know when we're celebrating like the recent thing where like Harvey Weinstein went to prison right and I'm like okay so what is like the what's the line here for leftists like our is our is our stance gonna be like yes a rapist a serial rapist went to prison or is it gonna be you know prison shouldn't exist and he shouldn't be in prison 100 percent. like i saw people tweeting like yeah like fuck prison but this is awesome um you know and like i mean again like that's a hard thing to sit with of like yeah if i'm gonna say prison abolition like it means for him too. Cause as much as he is like a deeply awful, sick person, he's still a person and like, doesn't deserve to be in prison. Like, do, should he be allowed? I mean, I think I saw a tweet too. He like showed up at like an open mic in New York city. And like, again, like the man needs consequences. Like he should not be out and about just bopping around as if everything's fine. Wait, Harvey like, Weinstein? Yeah. He showed up at like a comedy open mic? At a comedy open mic night with like his friends. Wow. Just like bopping around. Yeah. So like, I don't think that, but I think that, yeah, like, and then, you know, and again, like I'm never going to tell, I mean, I think it's the same thing too. Like that, you know, forgiveness thing that you were talking about earlier. Like I, you know, wrote a thing a little while too about like how, like I chose to forgive my rapist. And, you know, that was like a really important, like impactful thing for me in my life. But like, I would never tell someone like, yo, you have to forgive the person who assaulted you. Or like, you have to forgive the person who like shot your kid. Um, you know, and even telling someone like, you gotta be, you know, okay with the fact that like, he shouldn't be in prison. Like, I think that's, it's a lot for people. And I think I can understand where they're coming from. But I think that it's an important aspiration to sit with of like, you know, again, like people, you know, we're all people. I, I read that piece, actually, and I can link it in the in the description, the one that you wrote. I thought that was really interesting, uh, the Forgiving Your Rapist article, because it was very different from what I typically see in the discourse about sexual violence, both in that it was like saying like look this is me you guys don't have to do this because i find that there's a lot of grand statements made towards victims of sexual violence where it's like never do this do this whatever you know what i mean like and then so there's that and then i also just found it i found it very inspiring it was very like enlightening and stuff like that i i don't know if you want to speak more to that i know that's kind of like a touchy subject but it, oh, I, it I is i have a ted talk about that like <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was your TED talk called? Uh, Exposing the monster in the alley. It was about. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that. Wow. What? <laughs> feel, yeah, yeah. Oh okay, cool. <laughs> That's it. Oh my god, I have very like mixed feelings about my own TED talk. It was like I just had, I had TED talk voice. It was like a very like. What's TED talk voice? <laughs> sexual assault is. Oh. <laughs> I'm giving a TED talk 
about a very nuanced thing, but I'm going to break it down into little sentences, like that sort of thing. I see. That's, yeah, 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 that's so it. on point. Yeah. Your own nuance, like, again, I have a much more nuanced view to it that I think is better reflected in that article. But um, yeah, I mean, I really wanted to just share that mostly because, yeah, it was like I wasn't seeing that in the narrative anywhere of you know, recovering from sexual violence. And, you know, I, I was walking around with like all of this anger all the time at this guy for, you know, having done this stuff to me and that, you know, it's just, it's heavy to carry that. And, you know, it's something that we just talked about a bit sort of in, you know, obviously like the whole, you know, loving your enemies and forgiveness and Christianity, but it's really talked about a lot in like recovery spaces and like 12 step spaces around like praying for people that you are, angry towards, you know, um, like praying that like they, you know, are well and kind of get everything that you want, that things are good for them. And, you know, so that was something that I started doing like pretty soon after, you know, I was able to, like, even if it was just kind of like hitting my knees and being like, God, like help him be well. Like, I think that was sort of the biggest thing for me of just like returning to that again, like seeing him as human and not as this monster, you know, not dismissing the fact that like, yeah, like what he did to me was awful. Like that is something that like, is I'm kind of always gonna have to live with and like it sucked and was horrific and like had PTSD and blah blah blah. But like, you know, not negating that, but then at the same time, seeing him as a human being who, you know, make made a mistake and is sick and just really genuinely needs help. And like after doing that, and again, if you know, it can be prayer, I mean that's like a mindfulness practice. It doesn't even have to have a religious connotation to it. But like it was through that lens, um, that I really was able to let go of that anger. And, you know, I, I just, I just found it so freeing and right. I would never, you know, I would never go to another like victim of sexual violence and say like, you have to do this. Cause like, it's not, it's also not my job that's between them and God <laughs> or whatever that, yeah. they do that, but like, you know, in sharing my experience of like how freeing that was, is like a much more non-directional version of like, this can be an option if that's ever something that you want. You know, like right. to force forgiveness is not true forgiveness, you know, but like for me, it just, it just really allowed me to free it, like free myself from that burden of this rage that I had. And yeah, I mean, I just genuinely, like even right now, if I like tune into my heart, like, yeah, like, I mean, if I look at a picture of him, I kind of want to fucking vomit, but like truly in my heart, like I just want him to be better and not hurt people. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's like the, I, I think to like what I found really interesting about this is that I it was just so counter to like what I've been taught but I do like it and like I I like but I I've definitely been taught I don't know I, I also think there's a difference between feeling personal rage against someone or wanting to like straighten it out with one person like let's say take it outside and fight someone versus uh wanting like a, a whole group of people to hate them publicly um and so I maybe these articles can also serve that purpose too of being like you guys don't need to get outraged on my behalf against someone but I like I have like kind of mixed views on this I when I was raised my mom used to always say if somebody hits you you hit them back twice as hard she 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 used to say that to my brother and me all the time and like a part of me like when it's something like with bullying I'm like kind of like okay I get it like maybe just like a one-time thing where if someone tries to mess with you like whack them and that's that but then like I feel like there's a difference between like that and then this like notion now where it's like there's the collective 
like I think prison is not you know when you imprison someone it's always like the state versus them or the people versus whoever is going to jail right and so it's not just like one person seeking justice against someone it's like a, a collective it's like the whole state you know like I am condemning you to like mm-hmm. to prison so like yeah. when I think about alternative models I always think about that like that sort of distinction but I don't know I know like for Christians there's also the whole like turn the other cheek thing so I mean that can be interpreted in many ways I mean the the individual the individual versus collective sort of thing we're talking about I mean it just makes me think of too like something that like my therapist my old therapist had brought up when we were talking about trauma stuff was you know because I I had that sort of very natural like desire of like I just I want to understand I want him to understand what he did was wrong I want him to like understand how I felt or like to get something out of that situation and I find that that desire again even with imprisoning people right it's to like we want to get justice we want them to like also experience pain it's like that eye for an eye sort of thing and you know like one of the biggest things that like pushed me towards forgiveness was like my therapist being like you're not gonna get that like he might never understand that what he did was wrong he might never understand how you feel he might never like and you're not gonna get that and you're gonna drive yourself crazy trying to get that and like that I find is like such a drive and again it's a natural drive right like you know I mean, again, if somebody punches me, I'm probably going to punch them back initially, but like, (laughs) you know, I mean, I punched a guy at Tokyo for grabbing my ass when I was in first year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mila, I wish I had been so interesting, maybe like, so my parents are so comfortable in the societies that they're in. I don't know if growing up, they never had to stand up for themselves or they, they just, that wasn't their way. Like my dad is like the most easygoing, nice guy. Everyone loves him. My mom, any sort of beef she has is with some sort of feminist cause, but my parents never really told me to stand up for myself. And honestly, I wish my parents had told me to to hit back twice as hard because it's taken me like too long to figure that out almost. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's interesting. I wonder, mm, yeah. I Noah, mean, what kind of, or no, what kind of messages did you, did you get either like implicitly or explicitly about standing up for yourself growing up? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. And like, I, oh my gosh. I mean, my mom um, was like a raised up both my sister and I to be very, like very feminist. So it was always sort of like, but framed sort of as this like, you know, you against them. And you know, that like, you know, you're being raised as a woman because at the time I, you know, was, and it was like, you got to like, look out for this, like the world's out to get you. Like I kind of was in the world already with that knowledge, but I'm trying to think if there was ever like messages given to me about like, how to respond to that. I think only in the sense of like, you're a woman, therefore like the world is going to try to do these things to you. So like, you got to look out, but it wasn't much more so than that. Maybe because we were like middle-class white people living in the Chicago suburbs. So like, you know, wasn't wasn't really any cases for like where I was going to need to, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like for for us, like I had no feminist upbringing at all. My, My household's very conservative. And um, I mean, like a lot of my family members experienced war. So like, I'm sure that impacted uh, the way they view, you know, experiencing the world. But I think for me, it definitely like shaped me as like a confrontational person. Like I, and I think so like, like for me, I find the way I've learned to deal with like, just like standing up for myself is like, if somebody's arguing with me, I can never just be like, okay, like, you know what, I'm just not going to bother engaging. Like, I'm always just like, I have to reply. Like, I have to, like, I, I need them to, like, I need to like, 
be the one that comes out on top like I need to be the and like I don't think it's it's healthy in a lot of ways because sometimes I just it's not even that like I don't think I can't be wrong because I in so many cases I rethink my views like I feel like I changed one of my professors uh used to call it ideological cycles he's like oh Mila what ideological cycle are you on right now um yeah it's like a menstrual cycle um but it's not that it's more just like you know you just feel like I just always feel like I need to you know be the one to be like if someone if I think someone's misunderstanding me I will not let it go like I will just be like no like you are Mm. stop it and it'll be like some twitter user with like seven numbers in their name with like like three followers (laughs) yeah anime avi just being like yeah i don't know i so i think that's definitely something that's influenced me so to speak so my mom had this experience in church when she was a kid and uh like some boy was it a boy yeah some boy like hit her and uh she uh went crying to her dad being like that guy hit me and then my grandfather was like, you can't leave church until you go back and hit that guy. Headhunting. Hard. <laughs> and then they became good friends. And he always looked after her. That's very sweet. And, and my mom's dad was proud of her. Nice. So that's a happy ending. Imagine that happening in church. At Holy Trinity? At like Holy Trinity. <laughs> like, well, or like while Noah's like saying mass. <laughs> <laughs> Two kids just are wailing on each other. I'm like, yeah. You're just like stopping demons. <laughs> now is the time to de-escalate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, I was saying earlier, like we had these religious sort of ways of finding community with each other. And now like we are having this identity crisis because we don't have that. I think also when it comes to like methods of like social forgiveness, we don't really have that now either. Before, mm-hmm. you know, you'd have like, you go to confession and you deal with your it's between you and your priest or you pray and it's between you and jesus now i think there's people looking for salvation in like other ways that like and i've discussed this with ken a little bit i see this a lot with like feminist guys where like they're kind of looking (laughs) sorry (laughs) where they're like looking up to like women to sort of validate them as like the right kind of man or the right kind of feminist and then that ends up burdening like women as well because they're being like okay well i'm not that kind of guy right like i'm a male feminist or whatever um (laughs) stuff like that um, or you have like just white liberals seeking salvation, but through like non-whites just being like, oh, but I'm one of the good ones, right? And like performing their uh, feminism or performing their anti-racism as though they're like performing a penance to the priest. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, like there's so much in there. I mean, like, I think the first thing too, I've seen like this sort of idea of looking for, you know, penance or... Uh, like salvation or what am I looking for? Um, Quarantine brain, forgiveness almost. Um, Like I've just, I've seen it so go both ways, like in the queer community or like rad spaces. Like I have seen so many botched like accountability processes where like somebody will mess up and they're like, yeah, we're going to be like transformative justice. And they'll give them this like vague accountability process with like no parameters, no rules. They're just like, you need to like account for your wrongs. And then the person's like, how do I even do that? I'm trying. And they're like, you're an abuser and you can never come back. And like, there's just, there's not even space for that. Um, And then you have, you know, on the other hand, like 
I think, you know, like, yeah, like white liberals and, you know, sort of more liberal feminists who like, yeah, I mean, just that sort of needing that confirmation when like, I mean, it's that whole thing of saying like, oh, I'm one of the good ones or I'm an ally. I mean, those should are aspirational, right? It's in the same way that like, you know, I'm thinking about like from a Christian lens of how we're all like infinitely loved by God and made in God's image, but also like all have sinned. Like, I'm never going to be sinless. That's Jesus. I'm not him. Like, you know, I can aspire. And like, that's like something that you're, we're all working towards. But like, white people are all, like, we're all racist. Like, you know, like, I, I have to always unlearn that. Um, you know, I can never walk around and be like, I'm anti-racist. Like, that I can try to be. But like, you know, me bothering black people to like, tell me that I'm good is just, that's a <laughs> <laughs> I love like, rap music. Like, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Like, yeah, I know, exactly. I think, you know, if you want to help certain communities, you can just do it through action. And I think, you know, like, there's also parallels with that in the church as well, where it's like you can do acts of kindness without uh, going around saying that you're, you know, saying how good you are for doing it. pretty direct about that one. because you know, go don't complain about your fasting and go help people in secret and tell nobody about it. So what I was thinking is that like these, um, these like liberal anti-racist or anti-sexist professions are actually, uh, or like these proclamations, it's actually fostering resentment against anti-racist and feminist movements uh, for those that are not already engaged in them because they are making it look like a narcissistic performance rather than a movement that is trying to seek justice and so i think like it actually is doing active harm i used to be like okay whatever they're annoying but they're harmless and now i'm like maybe this is actually doing harm to the movement um and that's kind of a problem and so that's kind of what we need to deal with is that like you're not giving a mass confession to us like that is not what what seeking justice should be like um you don't need to like go out into the world and be like i have privilege like as though you are uh kneeling at an altar and being like and like lashing yourself you know (laughs) Um, because that's yeah because (laughs) because that's for you what if they feel like they need to be absolved before they can make amends and so they're constantly seeking that feeling of absolution yeah from from their perspective it's not it's not yeah it's not just the religious parallels yeah yeah no i think that's true i think like i think some people do feel that way and i see it like i open my facebook feed and i see it all the time especially in the music scene uh, that we're in can like I definitely see these kinds of posts where like you see a sort of performative anti-racism or performative uh, anti-sexist stuff and maybe they they have good intentions like they feel insecure uh, in the movement and they feel like they need to sort of figuratively lash themselves in public so to speak but I think you can have good intentions and still negatively impact a movement. And so I think that's kind of important. And I think honestly, you know, it's also a thing where like some activists, they make it so that people feel more the need to do that, right? Because there's some activists that'll just be like very harsh in their wording and they'll just be like, you know, like you, if you're this, then you suck. And if you're this, like you suck, blah, 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 blah. And if you keep doing that without like 
trying to build a coalition and come up with alternatives that's like not just an outrage politic, then what's going to happen is you're going to have all of these annoying ass white liberals that are going to try and seek salvation because they feel like they need to Mm -hmm. in the pool of that kind of rhetoric. So I think definitely we have like a lot of work to do in the politics of shame and absolution, so to speak. And I think it's like a hole in, in our politics. Maybe it's like for the best, like obviously the way that like punishment and absolution has worked in, or has operated in the past hasn't always been great either. Maybe we're just like awkwardly and crookedly evolving, you know? Remember that time we were in my car and I said I was groping for truth? Yeah, we're groping for truth. I was in the car with Mila, my mom, my dad. My dad was like, there'll be no groping. (laughs) He's like, there will be no groping (laughs) in this car. (laughs) I mean, it truly, like, it kind of feels like what's happening right now. And, you know, with the state of where everything's at with COVID-19, kind of highlighting all of these, like, already broken social systems. Like, I mean, we're kind of at that crossroads of, like, are we going to grope for truth or just keep going along the same broken paths? But yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it's a no true. I think it's a very um apt word, even though it sounds awkward and perverted, but like like we are kind of all just like groping in the dark for truth. And sometimes you're gonna grab the wrong object. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like okay, some- groping for truth is the name of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Noah's gonna like share this with like there's gonna be like priests on the feed being like excuse me (laughs) um yeah no it's it's I mean it's true though like it's I think it's an apt metaphor and it also because it makes people uncomfortable and I think like seeking truth is a very uncomfortable thing Um, I never thought of that it's this deep no it's I mean yeah (laughs) like like whenever I don't know about you but whenever like I challenge my own ideology and come to like new conclusions I'm always like not that comfortable like I don't I don't just dive in like I'm not just like I'm not just like yeah I'm gonna like join this ideology yeah man yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm always like oh my god like I was wrong that sucks I feel bad um i feel embarrassed oh my god i need to delete so many tweets no like this. <laughs> um but but really like that's kind of i think i think that's fine it do be like that i do think we should destigmatize that though like these... say, like that needs to be more normalized because like we should be changing our perspectives and ideologies and like growing i mean me too i you know went through like the cringe-worthy second-year university student SJW phase where oh, I was yeah. aggressively militant and like just insufferable. Just like ident- identity politics leaking out of every orifice, just like not fun at all. Um, and like, you know, but that was like, you know, before then, like I was not even a feminist. Like I, you know, came to university and that was like my first, like that very like white feminist like 101 like just identity politics like that was my first introduction to everything and like mm-hmm. you know part of just like yeah my first reaction too when I started was like oh my god that's like so embarrassing that that's where I was but it's like you know I was 19 and had never been exposed to anything before like yeah know, we're all the best and like sometimes we're not exposed to stuff or like we have experiences and grow up and like you know if we I think especially like there's so many of the ways that activists or people in movements just communicate and react to things is just so condescending all the time that like Mm -hmm. I think that that for me just like kills me 
when I just, yeah, I just thinking on Twitter of the like, did those fucking tweets where they just repeat the same sentence 20 times. And it's yeah, like, that's the worst. For me, that's like instant unfollow. Like, I, it's like, I'm like, I, I heard you the first time. I would what? rather be misgendered than told I'm valid. I don't want to be fucking valid. What if they can <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know. That's a very big thing too. Like people just like it's, it's like just like activists being like trans people are valid like 70 times. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, oh my God, I don't, I'm gonna get fucking canceled. But just like even just like the nitpicky things. Like I feel like especially right now, like the world is on fire. Like I our priorities as activists should just be like making sure that we're not, that people aren't dying, not that like, oh, this politician said pregnant women instead of pregnant people. I, yeah. I don't fucking care. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. And it's also like, you have to think about like what people have power to do versus what people say, I think. Um, I think like right now on the left, we're kind of struggling with how rhetoric impacts the world because before we were saying okay well words don't really mean anything at all which is not true they do and they do move people towards doing certain things but then there's the other extreme where it's like words are literal violence where it's like yes no like <laughs> like it is not the same thing as like bombing a country to say something bad about a country perhaps saying something bad about a country can lay the groundwork for bombing it which would be bad right but it's like it's not like we need to you know sort of delineate between these things and i think some leftists are like definitely coming to this and you know we're we're all growing into ourselves we all went through these cringe phases that might have been necessary I mean, I had the cringe atheist phase where I was just very annoying. There is no God, mom and dad. I saw this meme that was like a cassette tape and it was like the Bible read by a condescending 14-year-old atheist. <laughs> and I was like, is that me? Like, but, but then I was like, you know what? I went through that phase and, you know, I discovered a lot of other things that I still like you know like I discovered a lot of things through reading Christopher Hitchens and like whatever Richard Dawkins that I still am interested in I learned a lot about leftist politics from them even though uh you know I'm not I'm past that point of like wanting to like say force my atheism on like the elderly or whatever <laughs> whatever they're doing I don't know like or like you know I'm past the point of wanting to say shockingly atheist things that make people go like mm, you know yeah like that Dawkins thing where he's like abortion is necessary sometimes and you're kind of like like when he said like you have a moral obligation to like abort a disabled fetus and now you're like okay buddy like you ah. <laughs> oh no to go that hard like no, it's eugenics, why <laughs> Yeah, but like, and we we talked about that on an earlier episode. But I think like you know that is very, you you have these phases where you want you learn something new and you want to say a shocking thing that you learned, um, and because you know it's gonna get a rise out of people. I think that's really prominent among atheists, especially because you grow up in a society um, that is like default religious in a lot of ways. Not that like that's necessarily bad, but like for me, I think I was just like arg the whole time and just like, you know, not a Satanist, but would psychologists like state offered psychology reduce sexual assault? I don't know. I feel like that's more like Noah's area. <laughs> um I mean I think it would definitely help. I mean, you know, any sort of mental health care, even in Canada, is like 
super inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think we at the same time need the sort of larger, like addressing like rape culture and society and all of those things. I mean, like I've heard it's gotten better, but I mean, I'm thinking about like, I didn't even know like what consent was until university. Like that just wasn't a thing, mm-hmm. you know, I think it needs to go hand in hand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In high school and stuff, like the kind of stuff you learn where it's like what you consent to any kind of sexual activity and like that, that, that brought about a lot of weird moments for me um but like it's it's definitely you know um we don't really learn that i think it would be like you could just insert it into a sex ed curriculum and just be like look if you're especially for high school kids because you're so lost in high school you know you're so you're definitely groping in the dark and like it's like you know you don't know you don't know in a society (laughs) yeah you don't know what sex is supposed to be like in high school you know and you don't know that like you're i think a lot of girls especially don't know that you're allowed to be like i don't want to do that no actually that as a concept the fact that like i could choose not to have sex with someone i think i learned that at 20 like that is fucked up i mean just yeah even that notion of like I thought, you know, yeah, if we're dating, like it, it, everything's consensual. Like just that fact of like you have agency over your own body and like you're not obligated if someone's trying to pressure you to do something, like so much of that. But I mean, even the ways that like, you know, when you're socialized female in this world, we're ta- like you're taught that like that's where, you know, your values coming from implicitly is men and mm-hmm. is their attention and is being seen as sexual and like Oh my God. I mean, yeah, it's so long to unlearn that. I'm still unlearning that, you know? Yeah. Well, I think also like with, with guys too, there's this expectation that you're going to like lose your virginity real quick. Their like first exposure to sex is through porn. And like, it's, that also creates a standard. It's creates a bad standard for all of us, honestly. Like it's very unhealthy. Like I think, I think, you know, something good that we can get from like a good activism rather than like this toxic ones that was discussed even though I hate the word toxic now because of activism it's just oh my god but anyway it's like toxic you're problematic yeah you're so toxic toxic (laughs) is the new problematic but but I think that like you know something that uh we can sort of get from this is is also just being like look this is a way like we're all affected by this like none of us can escape ideology to quote Zizak. It's like a horror film. None of us can escape. <laughs> but but like, you know, we're all kind of in the system and we're incentivized to perpetuate certain norms. And that is kind of to the detriment of all of us tangled up with each other in this kind of um system where, you know, we're the we, none of us have escaped ideology. We're all like we're all trapped by it. And like we could all like work together and try to lift this burden from ourselves and say like you know this is to all of our advantage it's not just like i don't know now i said i'm like gonna copy corbin's slogan but it's like for the many not the few like you know um like we're all kind of fucked (laughs) (laughs) yeah None of us can escape ideology, and we're all, we're all groping in the trash can. We're all groping in the trash can of ideology. Ideology. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if Jesus is real, I would like him to come help us escape ideology. So if any of you guys can like 
chat with him for you. about that. Yeah, like that would be really silly to like. Really... Jesus, can I can I have some help? Can I, can you please free me from ideology? What's up? Yeah, free me from this ideology. <laughs> I can imagine like a mass. Like, there's like a song or like. Um, I think that's a good spot to wrap it up. Um, <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on, Noah. Yeah, that was, it was nice to meet you. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, no, that was that was great. And thanks for educating us. I know it's uh, not your job. Uh, you your Bible. Yeah, I, uh, I, <laughs> you guys, I guess, Venmo in the comments, cash up, <laughs> cash up Noah for some salvation. It's like the indulgences. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's basically it for this week, and uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Uh, be well in the core. Okay, and also thank yo, you to yo, our patrons. Thanks to the patrons. It's keeping me above board. Mm-hmm. That $10. We ought to say their names. Oh, so one of them is <laughs> Brandon and the other is Brandon. RPG Ari. RPG Ari. That sounds kind of militant. Isn't an RPG like a weapon? I don't know. I thought RPG okay. is like a player. Well, it's a role-playing game. Okay, anyways. All right. Stick RPG. Perfect. We're back. All right. See you guys later. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs> Bye.